This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. And welcome to our Squiz the Election series, your shortcut to the 2022 federal election. It's been an intense six weeks and it's now decision time. There are a lot of moving pieces as we emerge from the campaign, so it's time to get across some of the key themes and the key seats to watch. So let's round up all the noise of the campaign and get ready for the results to roll in. And I'm Claire Kimball. Election day is upon us. Claire, where have the last six weeks gone? (laughs) Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) Look, it's probably been the election campaign that many expected. Lots of focus on the leaders of the major parties. Uh, Lots of talk about managing the economy as we emerge from the COVID pandemic. Uh, As we talked about last time, some discussion of policy uh, and their competing visions for Australia uh, for the next term of government and beyond. Uh, And of course, some missteps and some triumphs along the way. Yeah, a lot of the campaign has gone to script, but of course, there have also been those unscripted moments. Anthony Albanese's gaffe back on day one, where he couldn't nominate the unemployment rate, that was seized on pretty quickly by the coalition. But there have been some developments that benefited Labor too. Yeah, a couple of things to note. Uh, China's security deal with the Solomon Islands effectively neutralised the coalition's upper hand on national security and defence and on the economy, the release of data showing that inflation was at 5.1% and the interest rate rise during the campaign gave Labor plenty of opportunities uh, to question the coalition's stewardship, uh, also to sympathise with voters who are concerned about cost of living pressures and to talk up its positions on things like minimum wages, uh, support for childcare and the like. And of course, plenty of opportunities for the coalition to attack Labor on those as well. Claire, looking back over the campaign, there has been plenty of airtime given to the minor parties and independent candidates. The United Australia Party's ads are everywhere all the time. Is that expected to convert into votes? Look, not much beyond where they landed last time, certainly according to the polls anyway. Uh, So in 2019, Clive Palmer's party ended up with 3.4% of the primary vote, and that's about where it's tracking now. Uh, If their desire is to win seats, it's probably not there, Uh, but they could be influential with their preferences in some tight races, particularly in Queensland and Western Australia. The same goes for One Nation. They scored 3.1%. 1% of the primary vote last time and the polls say it's heading to about that this time around as well. The Greens, though, have a bit more support, it seems. Yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on on Saturday night. Uh, in 2019, they got 10.4% of the primary vote and some polls have them at around 15% this time around. We know that their candidates' preferences go strongly towards Labor. So when we look at the primary vote of the major parties, the Greens Greens could bolster Labor's chances in some really key seats. And if there's one primary vote fact to remember, is that it's almost impossible for the coalition to win the election if its primary vote is in the 30s. The polls say it's at about 34% going in. But for Labor, because it gets good support from the Greens, it can win with a primary vote in the mid-30s. Yep. 
And if you want to ace it on election night, that's a really <laughs> good fact to pull out. It's a good stat to have at your fingertips. Uh, Claire, looking at the Teal independents, they've been a real feature of the election campaign. They are said to have several moderate Liberals on the run. So they are the candidates that are backed by Climate 200. They get financial support from millionaire Simon Holmes Accord and other donors, and they want to see more action on climate change and policies that bring more transparency to politics. The seats to watch there are Kuyong in Melbourne, which is held by Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, uh, also Goldstein in Melbourne, and in Sydney there's Wentworth, North Sydney and McKellar. Some of those races are tighter than the others, but they are all ones to note down and be on the lookout for on Saturday night. We are going to move on now, though, to some other key races to put on your dance card for the big night. A quick message now from our podcast partner, Uber. Elections can make you think about priorities and if you're looking for more flexibility in your life or maybe another source of income, you might want to look into becoming an Uber earner. They're the ones who drive people from A to B or deliver food with Uber Eats. Stay listening at the end of this episode where Eliza has a chat with Anique about becoming an Uber driver, how it led to him quitting his nine-to-five job and what life looks like now. All right, Claire, there are many interesting seats to watch in this election and we're not going to get through them all, but I thought it might be interesting to call out three races that we're each taking a particular interest in. Well, I'm glad in that case that we've quarantined those teal independents because they will be fascinating. Yes. Do you want to go first? Sure. I will kick us off. Uh, My first one to watch out for is Bass and Braddon in northern Tassie. I'm cheating. I'm counting those two as one because (laughs) they're so close by to each other. I'm also going to be watching Flynn in central Queensland and Parramatta in western Sydney in New South Wales. Yeah, Bass and Braddon are perennial election favourites to watch (laughs) on election night, so that's a good one. Thanks for letting me go first and nab that one. (laughs) So not only is Bass the most marginal seat that the Liberals hold, they have it by 0.4%. The two seats are a bit of a bellwether, usually in an election for the overall result, and because they generally report results early in the night, lots of small booths in those areas so the counting is done quickly, it could be a bit of a flavour setup for the election overall, so that's why it's on my list. Flynn in the Sunshine State is also a good one to follow because it's mining country, but the Labor Party is really mounting a challenge there. Yeah, Labor had huge issues in that part of the world at the last election. They had a mixed message about support for mining and then also for the environment. But the Coalition MP is retired and the major party candidates are strong local identities, so it's a good one too. As for my third seat to watch, that goes to Parramatta in New South Wales. It's another seat where the MP is retiring. It's been held by Labor and the race this time is between two people who aren't locals. Andrew Charlton is a Labor star candidate. He's an economist who formerly worked for Kevin Rudd. And then the Liberals have Maria Kovacic. She's a businesswoman from Western Sydney, but she's well known in that area. It's an interesting race, that one, because there's a theory that the Coalition has a chance to pick up votes in the suburbs, uh, that Morrison is cutting through with voters uh, in those 
sort of areas more so than in the inner city electorate. So let's see. There are going to be a lot of theories to be tested in this election. We shall find out all about it on Saturday night. What about you? What are you watching for? Uh, this is really hard, but the three <laughs> I'm calling out are Curtin in Perth, Gilmore in New South Wales on the south coast and Boothby in South Australia. They're three very different races. Curtin was Julie Bishop's seat. Uh, it was won by the Liberals' replacement Celia Hammond and she's being challenged by independent Kate Cheney. She's an impressive woman in her own right, but in political circles there's extra interest in Cheney because she comes from Liberal Party royalty. She's the daughter of business mover and shaker Michael Cheney and she's the niece of former Liberal Minister Fred Cheney. Now, it's going to be really tough for her to win that, uh, but she's giving it a really big shake. And that has been a distraction for the Liberals in WA because they're having to sandbag a traditionally Liberal seat like Curtin. Gilmore in New South Wales also has a notable candidate for the Liberals. Yeah, that's former New South Wales Minister Andrew Constance. He made national headlines when he criticised Scott Morrison for his handling Mm. of the 2020 bushfires, which badly affected his state electorate. The Labor MP is Fiona Phillips. She has a margin of 2.6%. So it's one that the coalition is really hoping to pick up. Uh, And then in Boothby in South Australia, uh, also a retiring MP, MP, uh, and a seat that the Liberals hold with a small margin of 1.4%. Yeah, Labor really wants to pick up Boothby and the state election showed that many voters in that area supported Labor just a few weeks ago. And that would see that seat fall out of Liberal hands for the first time since 1949. So it's quite a thing. It sure is. There are plenty of records to be broken and I'm sure surprising results that could happen on Saturday night. Claire, just to recap, the seats we've called out there are Bass and Braddon, Flynn, Parramatta, Curtin, Gilmore and Boothby. Was that what you were expecting when we started this campaign? Yes and no, uh, Bass and Braddon for sure, but seats like Curtin are a bit of a surprise mm. and there are so many more like Higgins in Melbourne and obviously seats like Chisholm and Macquarie that are on a knife edge. There are just so many races to be run. It's a lot, so we hope we've helped you out here with listing out a couple of our top ones to watch. Claire, tomorrow we're going to have a special Ask the Squiz episode. It's out at 6am on Election Day. Not only are we going to be answering some pressing last-minute questions from Squizzers. We'll get across a couple of other things, such as how the broadcasters are covering election night. It's super important to be prepared. You've got to have your remote in hand. You've got to get yourself <laughs> set up. But, yeah, knowing who's doing what will be really helpful, I think. Speaking of remote in hand and getting set up, long-time Squizzers will know that you like to pair a particular drink with a particular election. We are going <laughs> to find out tomorrow in the Ask the Squiz app what you'll be drinking as you watch the 2022 federal (laughs) election. That's all for this episode. Remember, if you have a burning question, send it through ASAP to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. We will be back with one last Squiz the Election episode on Monday to wrap things up, see where things stand after polling day. So stand by for that one. Until next time. Stay listening now for Eliza's chat with Uber, Erna and Nick.
Having more time and flexibility in the day, it's something many of us dream about, but Anik put his money where his mouth was and quit his job so he could achieve exactly that. He's here to talk to us about why he made the changes, taking calculated risks, and if life really is greener on the other side. Anik, thanks so much for joining us. Not a problem. Thank you for having me here today. Quitting the nine-to-five job is a fantasy that most people will have had, but not many people make it a reality. So what made you take the leap? Around four years ago, I was working uh, nine to five. I was a quality control engineer. So I had my weekends off. I was single at that time. Someone just told me, one of my friends, he said, why don't you do Uber? You know, you're doing nothing on the weekend. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. Why not? So I was making actually more money over the weekend as I was making during the whole week. I always, you know, had it as a backup plan that if anything goes wrong or if I don't like my job anymore or anything, I can just fall back, drive for Uber app. And were you worried about quitting your job and that stability and security of knowing exactly how much you'd be earning each week? Yeah, look, like I said, you know, it was a calculated risk. So I was doing weekends before, so I had a bit of a taste how much I can make. I had a estimate and sometimes days after work, you know, I would drive just to see how it is on the weekdays as well. So I took my time to see, it, you know, okay, when it's busy, when time of the year is busy and, you know, back and forth, back and forth and sort of did my analysis and I'm like, yeah, you know what, it's worth it. And so far, I'm happy with my decision. That's great. I'm sure there are some listeners who are feeling a little jealous. So what does a typical day look like for you now? You know, every day is different. So I can start whenever. I can just stop whenever. I'm not that sort of person who likes a routine, even though some people, you know, they love the routine, but I'm sort of a rebellious person. You know, sometimes I work late at night. I've even started at midnight at times and then I've gone till seven in the morning. And sometimes I've started at seven in the morning and then gone till three o'clock in the afternoon. One last question before you go. Do you have a favorite memory or achievement during your time being a partner driver for Uber? Well, there are actually plenty of memories, but this one which stands out, it was during the COVID time when, you know, people were getting their vaccines and I picked up an elderly lady and she wanted to get her uh, jab. And what actually happened because, you know, she was not sure where she was going. It was a bit tricky to go into and get the chap. So I parked the car there, you know, I helped her, you know, get on the bus, helped her all the way in. I handed over to the security guard and he's like, yeah, I'll take care of her from there. And she was so happy and, and I just felt good about that. Every time, especially on weekend nights, you know, when you drop people home safely or to any destination, you just feel good about that, you know, that the person is safe back home or wherever they want to be. So every time, you know, it's an achievement that you have dropped that person safely. Every trip is an achievement that transported that person from point A to point B safely. So, yeah, but that one just stood out. That's such a lovely sentiment to finish. Anik, it sounds like you get so much out of your job. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Not a problem. Thank you so very much for having me. And for any listeners who are interested in learning more about driving with Uber, go to uber.com slash drive.